Welcome to A City for All, a podcast by Richmond for All. I'm your host, Quentin Robbins. On A City for All, we break down city and state politics on a bi-weekly basis. Be sure to follow us on your podcast app of choice. We took a hiatus during May due to COVID illness, and we're so glad to be back. On to council and the mayor. As a result of the budget negotiations in the General Assembly, the body included amendments that would prevent Richmond city government from holding another referendum on the casino until 2023. The General Assembly intends to look into transferring the casino licensing authority to Petersburg. Richmond for All led the fight against the casino. And to be clear, we do not support this casino in Richmond or in Petersburg. Casinos are toxic industries that prey on people with addictive behavior. An estimated 40% of casino revenues come from individuals that are problem gamblers. The General Assembly should not have allowed casinos in the first place and should not let this toxic industry prey on another community. Urban One, the proposed developer of the Richmond Casino, and Mayor Stoney released a joint letter threatening to sue if the budget preventing the Richmond referendum is signed by the governor. Richmond for All opposes wasting city resources on frivolous lawsuits to benefit the mayor's donors. After months of review, city council has still not passed an ordinance authorizing city workers to collectively bargain. As it stands, there are two resolutions. One ordinance proposed by the mayor that would severely limit a union's ability to fight for workers' rights, and another much stronger ordinance supported by council members Kristen Nye and Reba Trammell. This podcast was recorded before Monday, June 13th's city council meeting, for which members of SCIU in the city have called for community members to come and demand that the council acts and passes a strong resolution. Turning to the school board. After the tragic mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Superintendent Cameras instructed school security personnel and the Richmond Police Department to increase presence and searches of students in several district schools. Several board members were concerned that increased security protocols were directed at students. As board member Stephanie Rizzi stated, quote, on that particular day, I don't think it was appropriate, end quote. She later continued, quote, Our security measures were turned against our students. I completely see that as double trauma, end quote. In addition, there was an incident at Community High School where an individual broke into the school on a Saturday evening, injured themselves, and bled throughout the hallways in the school. Although the administration had been alerted to this incident, the next Monday morning, when staff arrived at the school, the blood was still in the hallways and was not cleaned up. The administration initially blamed staff at the school, But at this past Monday's meeting, Superintendent Cameras claimed to take responsibility. School board members discussed the district's safety protocols. After the fire at Fox Elementary, board member Gibson noted that several members had asked for documentation of safety protocols and standard operating procedures. As of the June 6th meeting, 
Board members had received no information from the Cameras administration. Board member Gibson thereupon passed a motion instructing the Cameras administration to either provide the safety protocols or write them by the beginning of the next school year. The board also received a report from the school's auditor about the management and tracking of the district's laptop program. When the district went virtual at the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020, the school district began a program that distributed laptops to every student. The report detailed that the school district seemingly bought around 44,000 laptops to the tune of $12.6 million. According to the auditor's findings, 1,750 students who had left the district still have laptops, amounting to $500,000 in assets. The school's IT system of record also noted that there were around 20,000 laptops that were unused and in storage, a value of around $6 million although many teachers were told that there were no more laptops available for students whose laptops were broken. The administration asserted that they had only procured around 25,000 laptops, contradicting the auditor's report backed up with purchase order records that 44,000 laptops had been purchased. Board member White had tough words for the Cameras administration, quote, this is negligence. End quote. The board also had a discussion about the Arthur Ashe Community Center that the district uses for school and athletic events and has been maintained for several decades by the school system. The mayor's office intends to sell the property to private developers as part of his Diamond District plan. The city's attorney is asserting that the school board has no legal right to the property. Several school board members disagreed citing city code and state law. The board then discussed legal options with their attorney in closed session. We will be tracking updates on this in future meetings. Finally, the school board passed a motion that would include in student materials a Bill of Rights that was developed by community organization Virginia Organizing. This document lays out legal rights that students and caregivers have at school. For today's episode, we're chatting with Laura May Lucas and Brandy Walker. Laura May is the founder and director of Richmond Strong, an organization that encourages Richmonders to find mental and physical empowerment through strength sports. And Brandy is the owner of Body Arc, Richmond's first queer-owned, body-positive, art-focused gym. Brandy, Laura May, thanks for coming on. Thanks yeah, for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear more about y'all's background. I think first we'll start with Brandy. I know you were a sculpture major at BCU, and I want to learn a little bit about how you got into fitness. So I got into fitness in my teens. Prior to that, I grew up doing sports, being active in that way. And then in my teens, no longer had access to sports through my school. And it led to kind of developing this disordered, like, body image and the beginnings of eating disorder, which led me to doing more research and falling into a lot of the same things that many people fall into, which is misinformation online about, you know, how to feed your body or starve your body or overexercise, all the things. So I went through a lot of that <laughs> with my body as well. But after several years of doing that in high school, I evolved into learning about lifting and fitness in a more like healthy and empowering way. So that kind of started just for me initially. But then as I was in college, I got the opportunity to start training. And I really saw that as a 
opportunity to help guide people through that journey in hopes that they don't go through the same negative experience that I did. And then also just realizing how much I enjoyed seeing people create a better relationship with their body and with movement. So I hadn't expected it to become a career, but then I realized that fitness was very much like sculpture too in its physicality, but also in community and relationships that I brought out. Yeah, so started dark and has become <laughs> very positive, so. <laughs> no, I love that. Laura May, sort of same question. How did you get into fitness? What's your journey to getting uh, to where you are today? Yeah, so I too, I was always into nutrition and kind of gotten to fitness later on in life. But nutrition, I was overweight as a kid and I tried a vegan diet and I lost weight and I was like, wow, I did something to change my body, which also led me into a lot of trying a lot of different diets and a lot of them weren't great. <laughs> there was a lot of experimentation. I did get kind of deep into diet and fitness culture, which is very toxic and made me feel bad about my body. And so shelving that, I went to art school as well. I have a art degree, a BFA in craft and material studies. And I moved out to Oregon after that. And I worked for a jeweler for a little bit, but I was really struggling in my life. And I was depressed and I was anxious all the time. I was struggling with alcohol abuse, and I thought maybe my issues had something to do with I just wasn't happy with my career path. I wasn't happy with my life circumstances. So I decided to see a career coach, and the career coach helped me identify that personal training would be a good career path for me just because I'm like empathetic and I work well with people and I already have an interest in nutrition and fitness. So while I was in Portland, my addiction issues became worse and my life kind of fell apart. It forced me to move back here to Virginia where I struggled with addiction for several more years. At one point, I hit rock bottom and I realized that everything in my life needed to change. At that time, I was working as a house cleaner. I actually had my own house cleaning business. And I decided to pursue a personal training certification, just something to keep my hands busy, also something to pursue health of my own health coming from addiction. I wasn't really taking good care of myself. So that's kind of where the journey began, both in addiction recovery and in my own career as a personal trainer. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think y'all have really distinct but powerful motivations for getting where you're at. And I think there are some like common threads that really bring together, you know, how I think y'all came together um, and formed some of the groups and organizations that you have now. But so digging into that specifically, can you talk to me about Richmond Strong and, and what that is? So Richmond Strong is an organization. We're in the process of becoming a charity foundation. And our goal is to bring together the community of Richmond through strength sports. So strength sports 
such as um, powerlifting and strongman. And so we host these strength events that are beginner-friendly, they're welcoming, inclusive, and encouraging. And our mission is to create this environment for athletes to learn in the sport and to grow in the sport and just lift heavy things and have fun. Most of our events are themed. So we've had a recently a disco rave. rave. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) disco rave theme. We had a haunted powerlifting meet where... It was a costume Halloween event. We like to keep it fun. Yeah. Weird. Can you talk to me about the story of your founding, how the crew came together? Like, how did y'all meet in particular? I ended up meeting Laura May and then finding out about Richmond Strong in my pursuit to open Body Arc. It's funny because largely the reason we're here now was meeting Common Connection Gary, who then I trained with a variety of his friends who all have these great resources. And I started vocalizing my frustration with the fitness industry, specifically like locally being an independent trainer and being really unhappy in the spaces I was training, being problematic, being overpriced and just not really progressing in the way that was important to me. Um, So I expressed those feelings and the community that I was training helped me get in connection with someone who knew Laura May. And then they introduced me to her and Richmond Strong. And so basically that's where the conversation started about body arc and creating the space because she had a similar idea as well. And then in addition, Richmond Strong was something that aligned with my values and interests. So I joined the organization too. And so now body arc is also kind of a space that often will be hosting these events and kind of be like a home base for Richmond Strong as well. Since you brought it up, do you want to elaborate a little bit on body arc and the distinctions between the two organizations and how they sort of work together? Well, let me wind back a little bit further back how this happened, why this happened. But as I mentioned before, I got into training in college and I was working for a company which was a great way to get into the industry. But very quickly, I recognized the many issues within the industry, both for trainers and for the clientele, just continually being inaccessible to LGBTQ plus people, people with bodies who don't conform to traditional standards, as well as ableism that persisted within the industry. So that led me to starting my own business right before the pandemic started. So I started training independently, paying and training out of other spaces. However, there's very limited spaces here in Richmond where you can train that's affordable and none of them offered any kind of experience like the one that I really wanted to create for my clients. And I started getting more and more frustrated, especially as I ended up in a space that was really upsetting and depressing to me and felt very alienating. Even as someone comfortable in fitness spaces, in gyms, like I felt extremely uncomfortable in this space. And that's when I vocalized it to the community. And the hope was to create a space that was not only inclusive, but actually thinking and creating the environment that made people feel like they belong, who don't normally feel like they belong within gyms. So specifically, queer individuals, individuals who, again, don't conform to body standards in our media, and then also anyone who is just uncomfortable in these spaces. They deserve a space to feel welcome and comfortable and supported and loved, as well as the trainers who 
who are passionate about their job. That was the vision for Body Arc. And it kind of happened somehow. So um, we, it, it all just kind of snowballed. I felt really desperate over the summer because I was so unhappy in the space that I was in. It just started snowballing and the community helped make it happen. So now Body Arc is this space for personal training. Specifically, all the personal trainers there are independent. So they have full agency over their businesses because often these companies take advantage of trainers and you're not being paid what you deserve for the work you're putting in or you lead, leads to less good and professional trainers. So this gives them the opportunity to have the agency over their business and really give their clients love and support through their own way. So I'm very careful in who I select to be there to make sure they fit our value system because we want everyone to feel comfortable there, whether you're non-binary, trans, queer, um, larger body person, person of color, all that's incredibly important to us. And so we do that by having a diverse group of trainers and also by approaching the way we present the space differently. So one thing that is not very common within fitness spaces is the inclusion of art and, and also just creating very clear statements that show people that they belong. So we made sure to incorporate that through our art and through different art that we hang on the walls. We want people to know that they belong there and that we support their body in all of its forms and, and throughout the process. So that's a long-winded answer <laughs> what body arc is. No, I love that. I mean, I think that it really, it, it meets like a very present need in my mind. I think immediately where my mind goes is healthcare. I, I sort of think about, you know, fitness, all this, the services that you're providing is a, a form of healthcare for people. And as a queer person, I've had really horrible experiences with doctors and stuff like that, you know, without elaborating just because it's, uh, you know, a whole deal. But I think that these kinds of spaces are really important. I love the conception of everything. I want to dig into this art practice because I know this is a big an important part of, of body arc and I want to hear about you know why you feel like the inclusion of art is important in the space clearly you're both artists so you have a bias but you know I think it's important to talk about the ways art can be helpful in health spaces when people think of health and wellness they tend to compartmentalize it and think it's only what you eat and how you move your body but your mental state really ties into health and wellness. The way you feel mentally will affect the way you feel physically and give you motivation to, to actually move your body and treat it the way, the way you want to treat it. So it's proven that art is therapeutic. And also to me, art in a space grants permission to express yourself in a space and also have your own mm -hmm. interpretations. And it really impacts how you feel when you go into the space. We're, we've been aware for a long time how colors impact people, their emotions, how they feel within the space. But the same is true in, in how the space is treated. And if you're treating the space with love and care, it's going to project that and people are going to feel that. But additionally, for me, Having been a sculpture major at VCU, I'm very grateful for that because a major component of our education was having critical conversation, conversation around how art and other practices impact the community and how important the community is to art. And I also see that art 
in combination with other industries, is very powerful in bettering the community because it, as Lorme said, it opens you up to expressing yourself, but also pushes boundaries. I think particularly in this industry, a lot of the same things been done over and over. If you go to most gyms, they look pretty similar. They're not inviting, they're not creating this weird, vibrant space. So by doing that, we are going against the grain and acknowledging that strength, health, beauty, and all that can be as weird. Just honestly, like, I wanted it to be weird. I put fur on a wall because I was like, (laughs) why can't I make things tactile and fun and strange? And like, frankly, like, I want to walk in a space and feel good and weird and happy. And why can't my gym feel that way? So honestly, that's probably the way I should explain it first is because it's weird and I like it. And (laughs) that's the fun part about it. So no, I I love that. I think I have never felt totally comfortable in fitness spaces personally. And, you know, a lot of them can be very masculine and uninviting, I guess, in a way. Industrial. Yeah, and industrial. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's sort of like a pride in that. And I, I really like that you've sort of turned that on its head and said, you know, we can make it weird. We can make it yeah. fun and like playful. Well, it's like, why is that the association with like strength and power and freedom? It's like, no, mm. it's pretty powerful to put neon lights and fur on the wall and then still be like deadlifting <laughs> hundreds of pounds. But also <laughs> we have furry plate covers for our deadlifts. So that's way cooler. Just saying. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, Richard for all we're, we're very interested in municipal government and so I think something that I'm curious about is you know starting a business in the city I think there's sort of undercurrents that it's a real challenge to start a business in the city and I want to hear about y'all's experience uh, it, you know with either organization or both organizations sort of getting off the ground what do you feel like worked what do you feel like didn't work and what what kind of stuff do you feel like the city needs to improve on I mean the city definitely is archaic in many ways in um, the processes of, for example, getting your business license. That is a nightmare that they're now also getting super strict on. I'd say there's there's some things that are super easy that you can do online. You can create an LLC super easy um, without having to go anywhere in person. But I'd say it's when you want a physical space and you want to take up space in the city, that's when they make that a lot harder for you, which I think in itself says something too for you to to come in and and take up space, they want to make that as challenging and inaccessible as they can. So that is found in the process of having to get your business license, but then also the costs of even most bizarre things. Like, uh, for example, when I had to get my business license for this space, they had to send, you have to get the zoning checked. And me and we have a PT in the space, so she also had to do this for a business. They charged each of us like $150 just to come and and look at the space and be like, yep, that meets code. And I was like, why can't we use like the same one? You saw the space. But so they will take advantage of that and like charge people a ridiculous amount for something that takes them, you know, minutes. And then in addition, the city system for water for commercial spaces is insane. It's like an $800 deposit for water for the commercial property. And so that's really upsetting because you already have plenty of costs when you're starting. And you're like, here is a deposit for something I'm, I'm still paying you monthly for like, why wouldn't you just stop my water if I don't pay you? It's not a property. So like other things, that's just ridiculous. The cost of gas for commercial spaces 
basically everything, if it becomes commercial, it's more expensive, including Wi-Fi and other various things. And then on top of that, it's extremely stressful and kind of intimidating and scary looking at rental properties for commercial spaces. And the process of that requires a lot of a lot of energy as well as reading and understanding of like the legal terminology. So if you don't have someone there to help guide you through that, that would be a process that definitely would stop people because it is scary. It was incredibly stressful for me. I mean, I think that's a, a really valuable thing to hear. Something, a sort of narrative current that's in the city is how do we make businesses more accessible to folks that are not already making a lot of money, you know? I think the city has this tendency to roll out the red carpet for the big developer or the multimillionaire and make pulling the levers of power and industry very easy. But when non-incumbents want to start small businesses, which I, you know, I think is the, the ecosystem that we want is like a lot of local mm-hmm. homegrown businesses. It's, it's, it, it seems like it's a real challenge for people. Yeah. I would imagine too, like the fortunate thing about our business is there's minimal licensing that we need. Mm-hmm. I would imagine any kind of business that sells food or other various things like the process of licensing and maybe zoning changing, it's crazy. If you have to get a zone change, that takes months. So I imagine it's even more challenging for these other business types out there as well. What are some other challenges of running a gym? What a, What's the day-to-day like? Honestly, like I think what's very special about our space is I've found this incredible community who loves and supports the space and helps to take care of the space. So it makes it a lot easier than I would imagine, you know, running a more traditional gym would be. There's a lot of joy that comes out of going and being around these people who I see giving love to their clients and, you know, also just the variety of personalities that we have and the weirdness. Like we have a um, blow up alien in the gym right now named Jessica that hangs out there. Um, and a Roomba named Dave. Yeah, Roomba, the, Dave the Roomba. So Dave the Brave. <laughs> now that it's like going, it's relatively easy because we don't have a massive space. So Dave helps us clean, which is great. Honestly, the biggest challenge I think is separation of work and life from for me at times too, especially after the process of starting it. I was in an extremely bad mental health state because of all the stress and the massive amount of responsibility on my shoulders. So it was quite a process to go from that to being like, hey, maybe I should actually relax right now. <laughs> um, so I'd say like at this point more so is refinding like a healthy place for myself is the biggest challenge. But otherwise, the way the gym functions is relatively low stress. I'm very grateful for that. I think like my the hardest challenges for me, because I do have my own personal training business and I'm also starting Richmond Strong as a charity foundation. So just finding the time to balance between the two, because I mean, obviously the charity foundation is not paid and no one involved right now is getting paid. So it's all on my own free time. And so, yeah, that's another thing is work-life balance is where does that start and where does it stop? And then I also will consider some of my social time, gym time. I'm not doing much socializing outside of the gym because I'm friends with everyone in the gym and all of my clients. And I kind of relate pretty to much. that. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm also introverted, yeah. so I go home like I've seen enough people today. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are really good problems to have 
but it's I enjoy my job too much where I don't know where to stop. But at the same time, it would be good to set boundaries with that. I mean, I think when you care about a project, it's very hard and and you feel that it's a, a net positive for the world. It's like very hard to put it down. In some sense, going full circle back to the beginning, y'all talked about specific experiences that you had with health and fitness journeys. And I would love to hear from each of you just one piece of advice about how to avoid certain pitfalls or places to go, certain resources, something like that. I would definitely be very weary of social media. <laughs> Luckily, now there's a lot more positive creators there. But I would say for me, media and social media was a major impact on my negative self-worth. And then also just there's a lot of false information out there, including on these social media accounts. I wouldn't take anything to heart that you see pop up saying this is how you lose weight. If that's the terminology they're using is lose weight or any kind of restrictive terminology, don't trust that because generally that's leading you down a negative path, whether that's like a diet-based plan or fitness-related thing. If it feels restrictive and painful and it makes you feel guilty because you can't do it, then don't trust that system because it's not a good system. Kind of along those lines, find the community you align with. Whatever your goals are, find the person that's doing that and get in that community with them. Everything changed for me when I came across the strength community because that's where I started seeing people who had the same goals as me as opposed to like, I want to have abs or like, be small or whatever. I saw people lifting heavy things and it was really fucking cool. And um, yeah, no one was worried about how many calories they were eating or fitting into jeans for an occasion or summer bods or like whatever, like all that gross toxic stuff. If you don't align with that, get it out. Get it out of here. We don't want it. <laughs> yeah, so I think at the beginning you talked about some of the programming that Richmond Strong runs. Do you want to kind of reiterate that and then also do the same for, for Body Arc? I think in particular regular events that community members can get involved in. Coming up in June, we are co-directing with Pull for Pride. They are a nonprofit that they raise money for LGBTQ plus communities, and it's a deadlifting only event. And then outside of that, we have events about twice a year, maybe three, um, three times in a year if we can fit it in. In the future, we're going to have more and more community engagement kind of things, just smaller, maybe some like clinics and workshops on powerlifting and strength sports or anything related. And, and that's specifically Richmond Strong, that's specific, to clarify. Yeah, <laughs> that's Richmond Strong. And we are always looking for volunteers for the day of the event. We are also looking for volunteers who would like to be involved in the organization, such as running our social media, helping out with like various tasks in event planning. And down the line, we will need board members. So the best way to get in contact it, right now is through our social media. We're um, on Instagram at Richmond underscore strong. You can also email me at richmondstrongva at gmail.com. So as for Body Arc, well, we have some regular things going on that um, the community can get involved in. So 
For example, we have coming up this Saturday, we host a special yoga class with the RBA Fatties community. So that's run by Tiny Bones Yoga. And so it's specifically a yoga class for uh, larger body people created with their experience in mind so that it's a much more thoughtful yoga experience. And that is donation-based so that it's accessible to people. We have that once a month with them. And then we're donating the proceeds from that Richmond Reproductive Freedom Project for that event. And then additionally, we have a field day coming up next month in June. It's called the Big Gay Field Day. So we just wanted to celebrate Pride and have a free event where we're going to do like fun field day kind of activities. Anyone who wants to participate in this May, which is going to be crushing watermelons with our thighs. Additionally, we're going to do like other maybe less aggressive things, teamwork based activities like the human knot, if you're familiar with that, but it's when you like all grab hands and like have to untie yourself. I basically just was like, I really want to have a field day as an adult with people I like. So let's just have one. So that's coming up and that's free and fun. So if you're interested in that, you can RSVP and it is listed on our website under classes. We also have a monthly sound bath in the space. So that is for breaking down your cortisol levels, relaxing you, super, super good vibes. And so we work with a local practitioner who does that. Otherwise, the best way to stay up to date is through our Instagram, which is body underscore arc underscore RBA, or on our website, which is bodyarcrba.com. And that's what we'll be posting about future events, because we want to create opportunities for the community to come in, even if they can't maybe access personal training right now. And we're hoping to create some open gym opportunities as well. Awesome. Well, Brandy, Laura May, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Laura May Lucas and Brandy Walker are Richmond-based personal trainers who focus on building strength, health, and wellness, especially for people who do not feel supported by traditional fitness spaces. Check out Body Arc on Instagram at body underscore arc underscore RVA and follow Richmond Strong at Richmond underscore strong. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was produced by Emily Robinson, Laura McCann, and Lacey Hancher. Music provided by Eric Akers, aka Fat Milk Productions. A City for All is a podcast presented by Richmond for All, a member-run, member-governed organization working to make Richmond, Virginia truly a city for all. To donate or join us, check out richmondforall.com. We're taking the rest of June to rest, but we'll see you in July. Thanks.